Hello everyone, I am uh, Giulio Prisco. For this uh, uh, very important, as you will see, episode of this podcast, I'm joined uh, by Gabriel Rothblatt and Bella Magnet, who is going to be a co-host for uh, many future episodes in this podcast. And I think she will also republish those episodes elsewhere. Mm, I have been in California for the last month, mm, quite, uh, and I had a quite nice time. Just I didn't expect uh, California to be so cold at the time of what they say they call June's uh, gloom over here. Summer is really starting now, and uh, I'll have to leave uh, in a few days. That's really too bad. However, here I met. Uh, a lot of old friends. I made some. Uh, I also made some new friends uh, with whom I used to discuss uh, the kind of things that uh, I like to discuss in this podcast. In particular, uh, I made some uh, people working in the virtual reality sector. I met again uh, uh, Manny Baumik, who I consider as uh, a master of uh, what I like to call spiritual physics. is the author of a book called Code Name God, which I very highly recommend to everyone. And among the old friends here, I met again after a few years, our friend Stellar Magnet, who, uh, hello Stellar, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing pretty well. Great. And uh, I'm very happy to say that Stellar will join me as a co-host in uh, many future episodes of the podcast. And I would uh, look forward to discuss with you everything uh, on the intersections of science, spirituality, space flight, maybe even cryptocurrency, all the things <laughs> that are dear to both our hearts. Uh, so let's uh, get the first introductory conversation starting. Thank you very much for being here, Stellar. Yes. Uh, so for me to introduce myself right now, is that what you mean? Yeah, that would be okay. a, a nice thing. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, so let's see. Um, where does it go back to? Uh, I've been in the the cryptocurrency space since 2017 or so, um, but before that, I was a, a product manager, um, just like you know, working in the tech space in Los Angeles and San Francisco. Um, but yeah, eventually, I started to have a calling for needing to change my path from software product management to to space um, and like space systems engineering, I, I started taking some astronautical engineering uh, certificate uh, classes at UCLA Extension. And my plan was, okay, I'm going to go to graduate school. But eventually what happened instead was meeting people like you um, through the internet or other people in person through like the local meetups or classes I was taking. And uh uh, space cooperative was formed um but actually meeting you was after that and 
uh, when it's you were writing about space decentral, creating a decentralized space agency. Um, it seemed like the ideas were very similar to what we were thinking in space cooperative as far as creating a crowdsourced and crowdfunded space program. But you had the wisdom for, you know, crypto being this this glue that can make this happen and, um, you know, went down that rabbit hole. Um, but then eventually, you know, Space Decentral was never exactly launched as a decentralized space agency, even though as a community, we made some, you know, we, we did a lot of things together. Um, but it was not to the scale of actually getting a space mission funded or launched. Uh, partially, I would say, um, part of that was my fault um, because I went into the deep end of the software part and just trying to solve getting the software made for it and made made the emphasis like, okay, the only way this is going to happen is if we have these crypto software tools. Well, um, if I can interrupt, Russia, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was yes. also my it was also my fault <laughs> that the thing didn't fly because at some point I had the impression that uh, we were talking too much about cryptocurrency and software and not enough about space. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, li- I love software, I love uh, crypto, but, uh, you know, I love space even more. Now, at that point, I used to be a journalist in the crypto space. And uh, I've been a freelance writer in crypto for, I think, four or five years. I'm very proud to say that I am one of the few freelance writers I know who was actually able to make a good living with that. And I'm proud of it. But at that moment, I was becoming kind of fed up with the old crypto universe because uh, I had the impression that people were uh, considering it uh, as... uh, some kind of religion more important than everything else. And I had a very negative reaction to that because, yes, uh, crypto is cool, is extremely cool. I was one of the, I was a very early adopter of uh, all these things. I think I was one of the first persons who mined uh, Bitcoin. I think I was one in the first few hundred at least perhaps one in the, in the first hundred. So I have loved this thing since 2008, but come on, uh, Bitcoin is not the most important thing in the world. Ethereum is not the most important thing in the world. They are very cool technologies, but they are just that. They are uh, uh, tools that we have to use, we can use to do something good. So I was kind of fed up. And in fact, a few months after that, I gave up writing uh, about uh, crypto and uh, cryptocurrencies. I do still love these things. If we can use them to do something uh, worthwhile, and that something worthwhile can be anything, but for me, it would be still very good to participate in a crypto project that actually helps getting humanity back to space permanently and sustainably. That's uh, my passion number one, together with uh, the weird um, spiritual or uh, metaphysical ideas that uh, I think uh, we're going to discuss later. 
and uh, so that's it i am also to share the between brackets a blame for uh, us not having been able to launch space decentral well but i believe uh, you are now working on similar projects aren't you yeah so i think every i think everything happened as it was supposed to happen so it's not about like we need to blame one another it's like you know it, it, it i think it wasn't the right time um but we but there there was definitely a lot that uh that can be incorporated into attempting it again and and doing it in the way that has the right you know constraints around it and i think the industry has also advanced so much since in 2017 too so um so yeah i think we were definitely uh, you know, I think your idea was ahead of the curve too much. It was not ready. It was not, it, it, that was not the right time for it to materialize. And it didn't work out because it was just like, it, it wasn't supposed to. So I think is that is now the right time. Yeah. I, I think, I think now is the right time. I think it's, I the think right that time, uh, the right time to do what? To, 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 um, move towards creating a, uh, I would say, a decentralized space network of sorts, um, where it can use crypto for some things. But I believe the more important component is not the cryptocurrency; it is the knowledge network. It is the it is the knowledge base, and it's a common knowledge base that multiple organizations will contribute to. So I think that is the most important piece of infrastructure because once you have that there's also like when you're when you're funding things I, ideally you're encouraging an open source repository so you know people get funded but they uh the condition of the funding is it the you know they're contributing to this knowledge base so so i think you can do this without even having decentralized infrastructure for the knowledge yet it's just like hey just put it on GitHub or whatever, you know, and we think we were trying to do some of those things, but so it's like, there are ways to just move forward with this vision using centralized tools. And then eventually you plug it into the infrastructure that is the most aligned, which, you know, might still take two or three years if you actually want the private privacy components, which I think is important from a perspective of really doing global fund, fundraising campaigns for space. I don't think that it actually makes sense to to use um, something like Ethereum for that. So I would much prefer to wait on the financial aspect until the the infrastructure is right from a privacy perspective, but focus more on the open source knowledge to begin with. If I could jump in, you know, <clears throat> right here uh, to, to join you, um, I had a very similar experience on a project on for ocean habitation in what sounds like actually right in the same time frame as well. And we really in, in, you know, in the after action report, you know, it's, it's kind of agreed upon that the over insistence on the use of cryptocurrency choked the project from happening. Right. <laughs> and so it's just like hearing you guys talk about that. It was like, that sounds very similar to an experience that I had. Um, 
Yeah, but also it, it is so great to see just in the iterations. Um, you know, that was very early on, and you know, it is still here now. Um, these projects are only more capable because of how the technology underlying it has it. And now there's AI is on the scene, you know, yeah. and that's like this whole other, you know, um, like you know, escalation on on everything that's going on. And so, I, you know, it's you know, many projects will not succeed, um, but increasingly, yes, now is the time um, where all of those things are readily at hand. It actually doesn't take the entire national defense apparatus, you know, um, to, to achieve this, you know, this is commercial off the shelf technology, you know, a few of us sitting around in the discord channel can manifest this in reality. Um, I actually got a chance to meet the, the, the gentleman who bought that like doji coin ride. Oh, on the, do- do- yeah. Whatever it's called. Yeah. yeah. I, I, so I, I came across them at some event once, um, you know, and that's, so that's, it's, that's that, you know, that didn't really come to pass either, but like it was another iteration in this path that we're taking. And yeah. so and- mix those two together. I think we are getting to that point where the wealth of cryptocurrency um, can itself fund an independent space project. And the, I mean, from my experience, mixing this all together, also coming together is, um, ocean launch and return capabilities um, because this decentralization really does need to happen and space and oceans and space and outer space yes. is the non-terrestrial you know decentralized space where it can happen yes and can you also uh, introduce yourself as well oh yeah <laughs> uh, because I think we, I started introducing, then I went on a long rant, and mm-hmm. then yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll head, we'll have to we'll have to edit that back in to the beginning. Um, yeah, well, but, uh, uh, I've said uh, before you introduce yourself, since uh, you know you may skip uh, some things that I'm going to mention instead. I think uh, many people are familiar with Gabriel because he. He's okay. actually he's actually a politician. Regular. He, he's actually one of the few politicians who ran unsuccessfully the first time, but I hope there will be a second time on a platform very much pro space. I think uh, the only problem was that you were running as a Democrat in Florida. Uh, but you know that was uh, just one step, and I look forward to seeing you running again for office. And it's really too bad that I'm not a U.S. citizen, because I would very much like to vote for you for president of the United States sometimes in the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah, well, this is an exciting opportunity that I think blockchain technology is bringing to us where we actually will have an opportunity to uni- to globally or universally you know, um, participate um, in the governance structure in a way. And, and even if we choose to remain some type of Republican structure, you know, electing our representatives, um, in, in that way, um, is, is again, it's time for that. And, you know, I think voting technologies are probably some of the best places for immediate use of this technology. Um, so yeah, that being said, yeah, I, my name is, uh, Gabriel Rothblatt, um, AKA Swami G. 
Uh, Ten years ago, I did run for Congress from the 8th District of uh, Florida, which represents uh, Kennedy Space Center, Brevard County, Indian River County. And uh, currently, I preside over the Terrorism Movement Trans Religion, and that is a uh, extropian uh, faith, what we call a trans religion for technological times. And we believe the destiny of life is to take root above the stars. Um, and so that's really our our manifestation of the of divinity. Um, and so there's a natural cohesion with um, all these technologies. We try to again be a spiritual framework that can, um, you know, perceive and understand and accept non-human intelligence as spiritually divine. And um, that is actually difficult to do in much of traditional religious framework. Um, we have difficulty spanning language and, you know, skin tone. Um, so this framework, spiritual framework, is is something that we believe um, could be shared uh, across technologies, across, you know, intergalactic species. Amazing. And I think what you're saying about the ocean project that you're starting before, were you saying that that was um, to create an ocean launch launch pad? That's what the project was? Or was that? That was um, this particular project was simply a village, um, was a prototype of a of a floating Oh, like a seasteading. Seasteading, absolutely. Ah, I see. Yes, this was Blue Frontiers and the Varian token. Okay, okay, all right, Which you you may be familiar with, yeah. I I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think what you were saying was... was, Let me say uh something to bring together many of the things that we have been discussing in the last few minutes. Uh, Tomorrow, I'm going to see Tom Bell, who is the (laughs) co-founder of Extrovy, one of the sources of Terra Sam, who was also very active in the seasteading movement. And, uh, you know, he wrote this very interesting book called uh, Your Next Government. And uh, in the book, uh, highly recommended to mention all these things, including uh, the possible role of uh, cryptocurrencies in uh, developing and operating new systems of governance that uh, could bring something good to the world. And also Tom is going to be one of the speakers at our next Terrasan Colloquium on uh, uh, July 20. I very much look uh, forward to meeting him. It's such a small um, world when you have a, a certain interest group. Because, you know, Tom Bell is a counsel to the Seasteading Institute, of which I was an ambassador to. He also was apparently like roommates with Max Moore, you know, who was was CEO of Alcor, which I'm a member of. Mm. Uh, You know, it's just, you know, it's real small, real quick. Small world indeed, but uh, a small world in a big universe. And uh, (laughs) what uh, we want is to get out there from this small world to yeah, it's not, it sounds the like, universe out there. Yes, yeah, so it you know, sounds like a lot, of, to, a lot of convergent uh, interests. <laughs> back to this uh, um, overemphasis on 
one specific technology, in this case uh, cryptocurrency, that uh, we were discussing, I think this uh, is a very real uh, problem that uh, kind of paralyzes many interesting projects. What I think is that a project should have one very clear goal, you know, something that you can explain in an idiot to an idiot in half a minute. Our goal is to eliminate war, to eliminate cancer, to eliminate hunger, to make humanity a multiplanary species. But the goal really must fit uh, you know, in a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. Then, of course, a project can and should use all sorts of uh, technological uh, tools like uh, cryptocurrencies and artificial intelligence, uh, you know, whatever. But that shouldn't replace the main goal of the project. And so that, uh, having said that, uh, you know, I'm very much on board with using uh, crypto, crypto technology, any kind of crypto technology to help in uh, other projects that uh, we want to see done. For example, Gabriel, you were uh, saying uh, recently in uh, the TerraSend Discord channel that we should maybe uh, relaunch the TerraSend mind file infrastructure and uh, we're going to discuss exactly how to do that, but I can very easily imagine a role for both artificial intelligence technology and crypto technology in that. At the very least, you will need some good way to, make, to keep a mind file as uh, private as uh, the owner wants it to be. This is the very least. And then, you know, just thinking of it, we can imagine so many other applications of uh, so many other technologies. <clears throat> yes, the um, yeah, there's there's so much in there. <laughs> yeah, so much. Let's really begin with it. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, by the way, in the December. Mm, TerraSAM Colloquium, we are uh, planning uh, to discuss these things in detail. Now let's focus on July 1, but then we'll uh, start uh, working on the December 1. Now, mm, one thing that uh, we three, and I hope most of uh, those who are listening have in common, is uh, a combined burning interest for both um, space flight and uh, human space expansion and uh, what i like to call uh, new creative forms of uh, spirituality mm, uh, but i want to mention something about this mm, yet i get uh, very often the question of uh, whether Turing Church is a church. And my first uh, um, impulse is to answer no, it's not a church. It's a discussion group, uh, it's uh, a 
mailing list, is a Discord channel, is a Facebook group, is a YouTube channel, so many other things, but it's not a church. And I have a way to establish uh, plausible deniability of Turing Church being a church, because as uh, you know, uh, Turing Church is a name of a mathematical conjecture. It's usually called Church Turing, but it doesn't sound that well. So I say Turing Church. It is a mathematical theorem. So I say, no, look, this is not a church. It's the name of a mathematical theorem that I use for my discussion group about the intersections of science and metaphysics and those parts of philosophy that you would uh, easily call a religion. But well, uh, this on the one hand. On the other hand, in my website and in our discussions in this podcast, we discuss exactly the same things that uh, people, especially of the previous generation, go to church to think about. So in this sense, well, in this sense, yes, Turing Church is a kind of a church. Now, someone in Mexico is uh, translating uh, my first book, uh, Tales of the Turing Church, into Spanish. Mm, I speak Spanish fluently, so I could translate it myself, but I never found the time. However, I am revising the translation. And I realized that the uh, title of the translation, which uh, is going to be Cuentos de la Iglesia de Turing, sort of uh, removes my plausible deniability, because the double mathematical sense is absent in Spanish. So if you read the title of my book in Spanish, you see, okay, this guy is talking about the church. So I thought of uh, a way to remove uh, the dilemma by saying that, okay, uh, perhaps Turing Church is a church, but not in the sense of an organized religion, but in the sense of a physical place of worship. Mm. So is a church like the Church of Notre Dame is a church, not like the Catholic Church is a church. This sounds good. Uh, I don't have a physical church, but I can build the one in virtual reality. And that's one thing that I will do in the next few months. It's a long-term project. It's not going to be ready in one week. But I think at uh, some point near the end of the year, I will invite uh, you guys to participate in uh, our first uh, meeting in the virtual Turing Church, which uh, will be a place of perhaps worship is not the right word, but uh, a place of contemplation, a place of power in the metaverse. Place so of this, ex, ex, mind expansion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, it will be exactly the objective. Uh, we used to have a quite vibrant TerraSAM community in the virtual reality of Second Life. Mm-hmm. And for many years, it, has, it was the only remaining uh, meeting point for transhumanists in Second Life. Then, uh, unfortunately, I believe, Gabriel, we don't have that anymore. No, it, um, it was the victim of some, you know, I, I guess, aggression and, uh, you know, I guess some hackers 
corrupted oh some some things in there and wow. um yeah it's be you know uh yeah game more trouble than it was worth it was also not highly accessible um for there were a lot of people you know including myself um who never really reliably you know enjoyed or accessed second life at, at that point um and I, it's in, interesting, you know, I mean, TerraSem also has a, a, a channel in, in Discord, um, and we've been exploring the, you know, virtual um, congregation space, you know, um, so TerraSem is, I mean, TerraSem also is a church, but is not a church, <laughs> but we, we very much are a religious organization, but are not a church <laughs> also. Um <laughs> And uh, so it's interesting, you know, this this kind of play with, with Julio and Turing Church. Um, so, I mean, we are registered as a religious organization in the United States. Um, we are um, acknowledged by, you know, the IRS as um, as a tra- as the trans religion, um, as a trans religion. So, yes, is the 501c3 as far as the IRS goes, as far as the federal you know, recognition goes, we are this trans religious organization. Um, as much as a tribe or Catholics or Jews are recognized by, uh, by a federal government. Um, and we've played in many spaces with the virtual space. And in fact, you know, functionally, as far as you mix the human aspects, still zoom seems to be like the best thing to kind of, you know, um, virtually, congregate with people um you know no other technology is equally as um good and as accessible um in terms of just being face to face and having kind of what you would experience as a communal gathering of of people of you know faces of you know voices of personalities um but uh it's also, you know, interesting as a small organization that is trying to, you know, create this framework in this technological transreligious, you know, uh, a transhumanist space. Um, you know, what do other organizations do? And and they're actually um, have some point you know, intricate uh, technologies in terms of, you know, church software or um, even to that degree, um, uh, family records um, like the Mormon church does. They're, it's essentially mind files that are, um, you know, uh, kept on all of their church members. Um, so there's, um, you know, some precedent that even, you know, we can follow as we come into the space and, and, and then try to communally open source um, what are these best practices and tools that gives you control of your most control of your information, most privacy over your information, but still the ability to take advantage um you know, of the collective consciousness and the ability to project yourself outside um, of maybe your biological lifetime or, you know, into something else, but still maintain the best thing for most of us for a long time has been something like Facebook or Google. But we forget that, like, we don't really own that information that we're handing over to them. They're getting really good at helping us catalog and like give it handed over to them, but we don't own that. Right. And so that is, you know, uh, 
part of what we too are pursuing mm-hmm. um, through this. That's, and, so, that's, that's so important. Yeah. yeah. To, to, yeah. Have control of your information for your full sovereignty as yourself of yourself. Yeah. So I also I agree that yep. uh, at this moment uh, uh, for a virtual meeting, Zoom or Discord are uh, probably the best that we can do. Mm, at the same time, uh, I'm just thinking aloud now, but uh, some of my most uh, moving moments in a spiritual uh, place of power have been uh, while I was entirely, entirely alone. And one doesn't go to a Zoom meeting alone. You need at least two persons to meet on Zoom. Whereas you can go to a church by yourself. And sometimes it so happened that uh, the visual quality of the environment, the sensorial quality of the environment, does communicate to you the feeling of being in a place of power. And that can be the starting point of many interesting uh, mental experiences that you have with yourself and help you clarify many things for you. Uh, Virtual reality at its best is uh, able to give us just that. And you're entirely right that the second life was too difficult to use and many people had problems in learning the user interface and sometimes it didn't work and sometimes uh, if the internet bandwidth or the graphic power of the computer wasn't good enough, you saw laggy things, broken avatars and all that. Uh, But I think these are uh, technical problems and I have seen recently some uh, virtual uh, reality platforms that uh, are much, much better in terms of usability without sacrificing the graphics quality. Uh, So if you have uh, read my recent posts, you will see that I like very much uh, virtual reality technology called Croquette. Uh, we're not going to discuss it uh, here, but well, that's the technology I plan to base my next experiments with virtual worlds on. And I do have great expectation for that technology, or if not for that technology, for something very similar to that. Of course, is a sector which is evolving very fast. And uh, Jaron Lanier said in his book, The Dawn of Everything, that yes, virtual reality is hard. It's extremely hard to do it well. It takes some time. It's not something that you do in uh, one week, one month, or one year. It takes a couple of decades of experimenting, but I think we will get there eventually. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to do like a virtual reality village where there's like a few, you know, like we were saying, there are these bunch of organizations and they're kind of existing in this similar space. So like, what if there's like a little like temple or house or whatever, and they're kind of like, and this is showing the, the alliances. Uh, it's like, I think that can be cool. I'd like to go back 
to the intersections of uh, science, uh, very futuristic uh, extrapolations in technology, and what I like to call creative spirituality. Asking uh, Steller to say something about, I believe there is a book that you are writing called Simulation Breakers. Yeah. Can yeah. you say something about it? Yeah, I can talk about that. Um, yeah, so I'm starting to write a book called Simulation Breakers, which is a bit of a, it's meant to be both an I guess, autobiography of my life up until today, but then the the projection of my life from today to my my future self. Um, so it's a big, bit of, a, uh, you know, fiction slash real stuff slash science fiction. Um, and Simulation Breakers is, it, it's, it's actually very, and I realize this in retrospect, it's like a, it's, it's similar to Turing Church in ways where I started to write these journal entries and it was these people that were meeting and they were just talking about, you know, the nature of reality and like physics and um, trying to uh, understand things. But it's but since it's written by me, it's also based on the context of my um, personal experience. And throughout my life, I have had a... I would say a difficult re relationship with reality. Um, like I have had uh, a lot of what people might call psychosis or um, psychotic episodes. So partially, it's like I'm trying to to understand these uh, these hallucinations, these visions that I have had. Um, and uh, and yeah, so I was calling it simulation breakers because it's. It's 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 like this person that comes to the understanding that there are a lot of patterns in this world, and if you can see through the patterns, you can break through. You can break through the simulation, essentially. So it's it's a. I was starting to write more of it yesterday, where I, actually I was um, referencing um, like Turing, and uh, when he was you know wor worked on the Enigma, which was the sort of code breaking. Or you know the the encryption um, or the the Enigma machines in like World War Two, but it's sort of like I I want to think of simulation breakers. Like my my goal with it is to help. It's like decide. It's like to, to it's like decode help help decode things. Like it's like I'm gonna take people through my process of decoding things, and hopefully it serves as this like decryption tool. Um, so that's uh, decryption that's tool for what? Reality. But the idea you do realize, simulation. Uh, but the idea you do realize that it, you sound a lot like Philip K. Dick, don't you? <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Um, but so the idea is though, and this is why it's like it's much different too. And and, and I also realize that Carl Jung he. I just learned this yesterday where he recommended to his patients or what have you to write themselves into like mythology or whatever. And that was his sort of like psychoanalytic method because he, he wrote the red book and that was him doing that. And then he was recommending that. And then I started realizing that I was 
starting to invent this too, but it's not, I'm not an invent. It's like someone else has already sort of done this, but I'm going to take that to the next level where it's not just like an individual writing their mythology, but multiple people writing theirs. And then you connect the dots and then that is the enigma. Um, so that's the goal. <laughs> I think this is beautiful. And I think it, it all comes together because, you know, um, I, what you were expressing, um, is this like process of like defining and like ex- like your yourself and in writing the story of yourself especially in this like way um that is this that is your mind file like that is like that is that piece of information i mean and for me you know from my perspective um and dealing with this personally like you know struggling spiritually through the time you know um you know to to be able myself to to say this is what's going on with us right and like you know i mean um it is kind of surreal to to kind of walk that, but what you're saying right here is exactly what we are saying. This like a spiritual like course, like a like a, a midst of a virtue within you know a course of of yourself and betterment, right? And that you should do that process and get that out there, save that, and that as part of a collective consciousness where the rest of us can benefit. And always like have that in, so we understand right now, what are all everyone experiencing in this, you know, what, and then over time, right? Um, I think, you know, Julio is trying to explain it as you are like g- doing it, right? And it's like, yeah. and then like, you know, these are all like just different aspects of like the same essence. And that's why we say, I think I am you, you am I, we are one, right? You know, because we're all, we're all somehow just part of this embodiment of, of what I I like to call the macro organism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all of us making this transition together. And each one of us have like little bits and pieces of that information. And the better we, the better we are able to process express and share that like all of us become better uh, you know through that yes that's that's amazing yes i've been thinking a lot about panpsychism lately i think that's the that's this concept of this like this reflective and resonant nature of everything and i think that is probably what what's like the the short word for what we all potentially believe um maybe um like the like the theology or this world of theology uh at least that's that's what i'm tuning into more this like this like conscious universe conscious qubits or what have you it's like very i think that's panpsychism at the at the end of the day so it's like how do we advance that um that as like a field that is really taken deeply seriously and that's what i'm interested in this morning, yes. I was uh, taking a walk in Venice, and I saw this beautiful uh, mural called uh, the something like the great thinkers of panpsychism. We have uh, so many people like Terence McCain and uh, uh, Rumi, even Nikola Tesla, who was a panpsychist. Himself. I'll send you pictures. It is a yeah, really beautiful. That's amazing. Place. Yeah, please, yeah, no, please send and, that. As a matter of fact, <laughs> um, psychism is uh, one of those things that were uh, 
dismissed by how should I, by the people that I like to call uh, bureaucrats of science or uh, that other people call the science establishment for being too wacky, too uh, not uh, scientific enough, but uh, you know, a lot of scientists <laughs> are rediscovering some psychism now, including uh, people like uh, Roger Penrose, who won the Nobel Prize in Physics a couple of uh, years ago. So I think there is a whole uh, renaissance of uh, spiritual idea in the context of uh, science and especially fundamental physics. Not only fundamental physics, because we are also realizing now that biology is not derived, but is really a science in its own terms. Uh, but well, yeah, I like to talk about physics because I am a physicist by training myself. And that's what uh, I've been trying to do in these last few months, to interview uh, people, um, especially physicists, on these sort of things. Huh? And coming back to simulation breakers, I mentioned that I see a lot of similarities between uh, Stellar's work and uh, some of uh, the novels of Philip K. Dick, and also the non-fiction like this monster uh, exegesis that has uh, something like 5,000 pages. is a spiritual diary of Philip K. Dick, a big, big mind file. We could use it to revive Philip K. Dick sometime in the future. But that I have uh, interviewed uh, this guy called Ritz van Wierke, the author of two good, really good books. First, Simulation Hypothesis, is an explanation of uh, the traditional, between brackets, simulation hypothesis. And the second, which is more interesting, is called the simulated multiverse. It is a kind of a fusion between a simulation cosmology and a quantum uh, uh, many worlds cosmology. And that has really a lot of parallels with uh, the work of Philip K. Dick. I really need to introduce you guys. Uh, perhaps uh, we can come all together in a future podcast. And as a matter of fact, I had this uh, project in mind to re-interview many people I had been uh, talking uh, with in the last few months. Yeah, it would be great to meet him. And I actually just ordered uh, ordered his books because I I happened upon them a, a week or two ago, and I was like, oh my god, this this seems so similar to what I'm starting to write. And I saw he had interviewed um, Philip K. Dick's uh, uh, ex or you know uh, wife or widow, and what she was describing it sound yeah, but I would say very similar to what I feel like I'm going through now with my relationship with reality um because i feel like over the past like since november i had a very i had a very intense um uh there's an incident um for many of my friends i i went missing and i was lost and but whenever that happened i i experienced a lot of like visions or what have you or hallucinations whatever you want to call them and 
And so the past, uh, you know, few months of my life has been trying to make sense of that and trying to also tell people around me that I think I'm okay now and like I'm not going to end up lost and, you know, so, um, but it's, it's, I think as I write sometimes and I go into these rabbit holes and then I might start saying some things of what I was saying back in November and then everyone around me is scared and then. So yeah, that's just what I'm dealing with right now. I'm like, okay, like navigating this and trying to trying to do this without also concerning the people around me. Here, the idea that uh, Ritz uh, explores in his second book, uh, and uh, I am uh, also investigating from uh, a more. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say more scientific, because I think his investigation is scientific, from, uh, a more, uh, from an approach more like uh, the traditional approach of a theoretical physicist. I am investigating exactly the same idea, and uh, the core idea is that uh, there is more than one reality, Perhaps not the full set of all possible realities compatible with uh, the laws of quantum mechanics, like uh, in Everett's many world interpretation of quantum mechanics. Perhaps uh, there is a set of existing realities, but not that big. Just mm -hmm. some of the possible worlds exist. And uh, the idea that uh, matches very well with a simulation of cosmology is that something uh, which doesn't necessarily have to be a conscious mind, it could be, but doesn't necessarily have to, is continuously changing reality, merging and splitting realities. Uh, why? To achieve some kind of goal. What is this goal? I don't have the foggiest idea, of course, but uh, we can imagine that one of the goals, mm, not like that, we can imagine that uh, the unknown goal that the universe is tending uh, toward, and that was also anticipated by Robert Piercig, who is one of my heroes, has something to do with uh, complexity, with uh, life, consciousness, the kind of consciousness that continuously expands, continuously becomes uh, more present, uh, more powerful, until it becomes something that encompasses all the universe. And this is what Gabriel calls the terrorism. And this is what uh, uh, traditional Christianity calls God, because I believe all of traditional religions can be reinterpreted in exactly the sense. And this reinterpretation is something that can be done, and I believe it is something that should be done. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that. I, f I feel like the way that I look at different religions and theologies is like there are pieces of it that I, it's like each person might feel like maybe they got like one piece right or this piece or like that piece and you're sort of putting together this puzzle because um, I think that there are a lot of 
like dead ends potentially. Um, I because I, I I definitely believe more because I think a lot of monotheistic religions they're just like separated like this this is bad this is good and I I'm more like yeah Eastern Yin Yang like this like fusion of like you know there's like the and it's even like magnetism or electrons everything there are these like polarities or dualities and so I think that we we can understand more maybe by actually looking at, at physics and then seeing how that physics matches up to theology in different ways or mythology. Um, and yeah, I think that there was also something you wanted to touch upon earlier, which was uh, the tie between spirituality and, and space flight and how I think it is connected is because it has to do with, it's like, I, I think we, I think it's like intelligent beings we are we are curious we want to if there is like this this drive to 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 put our eyes out there into places that our eyes have not been and experience and feel new things i think that is that is a core part of how we have evolved to become who we are today so we will want to continue to do that and to continue to do that in the way, yes, there are potentially telepathic ways. There are potentially, yeah, mind uploading, sending your, sending yourself on a spaceship or what have you. But there's also the energy. You know, it's like if if we can understand energy and like if we can have breakthroughs in energy, that is the the ultimate transcendence, right? So, um, so that is why physics is so important because it's like our, our understanding of energy, our understanding of like wormholes, like it's like, it's so, it's like so tied, everything is so tied together whenever I think about it and like how, you know, physics hasn't, or, you know, physics and science, like now is the moment for, for things to actually fully converge. We, it's like now is the, I think now is the time. It's similar to like the space agency thing where it's just like, okay, well, maybe we didn't really know how this all connected, but now science is catching up with theology or something. <laughs> And the theology is catching up with science. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah they. They. <clears throat> I talk a lot of uh, about how religions are a shared hallucination, or at least the, an attempt at a shared hallucination, um, and how, in, in effect, um, governments are no different than religions. And and in our modern secular time, what that really does help um, perpetuate is this ex multiple existences, realities at once, and where you know, in some aspects, you know, th this is you know, you have this very Baptist enforced reality, but you're also in a state in. Uh, federation and um you know in the county and the school i mean and each of these things are reinforcing their own hallucinations of reality you know um yeah. and to the to the degree where the the longer that happens it does affect the ecology you know i mean we are we literally terraform our own place you know and so which touches on something else that i would i would say you know I would that would come from at least the terrorism philosophy of this is that the evidence is all around us that every form of life that we see 
um, is something that was um, that was uh, uh, you know so successful someplace in the chain of, of time and space that it was able to produce itself off world. So all life that we see here, never none of it really originated here, but has some other off worlds, trees, mammals, you know, birds, all of these larger kind of life forms, um, you know, are going to be more common throughout the universe than we might think or, you know, uh, or expect. And it's because of a shared hallucination that we ignore the signs of life and the noise of the universe all around us. Um, because we've chosen to put our heads in the sand, um, in, in, in this way. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. If you think of like, like a frequency or something that you're tuning into and there's just like all this here and we've just decided there's, there's going to be like this one thing and we're putting our brains all on it. And that's the programming that's being broadcast, which basically closes the possibility to see what is outside of that. Yeah. A great example of this, and I just I love that this this you know this came up. I think this is like I for me this is particle physics kind of like you know reaching out and touching, which is that actually I think today or yesterday they asked AI um, what came first, the chicken or the egg, <laughs> and you know of course you know it gave the same answer that i came up with at like 10 and told my grandma and like got so upset when like she wouldn't accept it which is that like it's the egg and it's evolution you know that like no multicellular life form like appears on its own it at best like mutated from a single cell so the egg like is the only natural conclusion to that right and so the ai says it but what why are we still asking this dumb question it's gaslighting (laughs) yeah you know this is this is the gaslighting that is like pre-programmed into society where it seems rational to ask a fucking stupid question like that (laughs) yeah it's like we need we need better uh idioms or what have you or it's like they're 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 all just like making us more more dumb as opposed to evolving our consciousness yeah. There is a, uh, uh, rewinding a few minutes back. Mm, I like this uh, AI thing very much, by the way. There is an argument that I like to use to underline the importance of uh, spaceflight and, in particular, mm, human expansion into interstellar space to uh, explore uh, new spiritual realms and uh, the example is this uh now uh, you, know, you mentioned wormholes uh, and uh, black holes you know all this kind of extreme physical condition in the universe now uh suppose uh, a future human civilization in uh, maybe a few hundred years wants to go and visit a black hole. There is one at uh, only a thousand light years from the Earth. Perhaps there are uh, closer ones either. Anyway, to get there, they will have to master uh, very advanced science. Those kind of technologies, uh, you know. Uh, maybe. Uh, I, I, I'm not... 
I'm not, I have not fully concluded that uh, teleportation or what have you is just what, uh, scientific or I think it might, it's potentially, it, what if it's more spiritual and mental, well, allowing would, ourselves to believe? I would call it, uh, I would still call it technology. Science, yeah. Uh, it would be even more uh, difficult to understand that uh, all of the schemes that have been imagined for interstellar propulsion, but you know, I would still call that technology in the sense of uh, the third law of Arthur C. Clarke. Any technology that is sufficiently advanced mm -hmm. is distinguishable from magic. So we have law order uh, magic is using, uh, you know, uh, matter, antimatter, annihilation to achieve the speed of life, or telepathic mind travel to the stars, which would be much faster than uh, speed of life, but that would be just, in my terminology, that would just be better technology. So suppose we have this better technology and uh, we know and uh, we go close to a black hole and uh, start uh, playing with the black hole. Now, there is something that has happened always in the history of science. And this something is that whenever we do new experiments in extreme conditions that were not physically accessible before, we find something new. That's been a constant. This is a rule. So that, uh, you know, in order to understand more, we will need to play with more and more extreme uh, configurations of matter and energy. And those things exist out there among the stars. Uh, and what we can simulate in the laboratory is not necessarily exactly the same things. So we need some understanding of quantum gravity to reach the stars. But once we have reached the stars and are able to experiment near black holes, we will develop a much better understanding of quantum gravity which uh, they say must be related to most of the issues about the consciousness that we have in mind. And then we go and experiment with even more extreme configurations of matter and energy, and we'll develop an even better understanding of quantum gravity and or spirituality and so forth. And this is a loop that goes on forever. So that, uh, you know, we can... Mm -hmm understand these things perhaps never completely but we can understand these things more and more only if we go out there among the stars and uh, play with uh, the very weird things that uh, exist in the universe this yeah. is one of the cornerstones of my personal philosophy i think that that makes a lot of sense but i i want to take that to the next level and if you believe in remote viewing, um, and if you believe that there are some humans that have very computer-like abilities with their observational uh, skills, where they can basically, you know, remote view and, like, collect the data as a human computer, um, that might uh, be interesting. <laughs> but I'm like, how do we start doing those experiments where you're remote viewing oh, no, astral, am, uh... astral astral projecting to a black hole and figuring out how you collect that data and like record it? I think 
that is the the realm of science i'm i'm interested in i'm completely open to that huh? <laughs> i cannot say that i had more uh, uh psychic experiences than the average persons i had <laughs> i had some of course like everyone but i'm not an especially gifted uh sensitive or uh, whatever you would say mm -hmm. uh, from a scientific point of view i'm completely open to that yeah and yeah. Uh, i'm not the only one i mean it was uh nikola tesla more uh -huh. than 100 years ago, who said that uh, when science begins to study non-physical phenomena, uh, then science will make more advances in one uh, decade than in uh, many centuries before. Mm -hmm. I do completely agree with that, but I do question his terminology, mm -hmm. uh, uh, non-physical. Because to me, everything is physical. Yeah, in some sense. yeah. There is a like maybe something meant, like, uh, not not easily not easily observable exactly. or something. Yeah, there is a uh, there are things that can be understood more or less based on the physics we know, mm -hmm. and there are many more things like Shakespeare said that will require much better science and physics to be understood. So everything is physical in some sense. And, uh, you know, uh, what they will call physics in 500 years from now uh, may well be something that no physicist would recognize as physics today. And it may encompass all this uh, remote, view, remote viewing, uh, paranormal, uh, telepathic, uh, psychic capabilities. We know that uh, telepathy exists because we are engineering it ourselves. You know, when uh, you have two persons uh, connected by a brain implants, wirelessly linked to the internet, then the result is exactly the same. One person can think something to the other person. So uh, this is a proof that uh, there is no reason why telepathy shouldn't exist. And I am completely open to the idea that we have native telepathic abilities that do not even require technology aids to be implemented. I haven't seen a final proof of that, but uh, I look very much forward to hearing one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot and also the concept of, like, transhumanism. Which sometimes it relates to like a lot of technology assistance or like man-made stuff that we are using to like extend ourselves in different ways. But I'm I'm starting to be more aligned with the idea of maybe maybe there's a lot of stuff already inside here that just hasn't been turned on. And like how do you how do you turn it on? Because um, if you like if you start if you start putting in um, I would say material like new things in there what if that what if that actually slows down and what if we what if what if that actually doesn't get us where we want to be faster and like the missing thing is actually figuring out what is inside here um so that's that's my my relationship with transhumanism is like it might just be 
the understanding the potential of hum, hum, humanity that we might not know the sort of hidden aspects of of ourselves or our psyche um and that might that that so i think it's it's good for different people to be approaching different things um and just seeing which one works uh but i my hypothesis or whatever the thing that i'm curious about testing is like if we actually take this very seriously and like build up you know scientific practices around it or you just like do all do things in an alternative way can that lead towards that you know yeah like what nick like tesla was saying in like 10 decades like or like in a, in a decade um so it's like how do we just how do we start that process and like see what happens yeah <clears throat> these are all uh, very deep questions to which we don't have answers yet <laughs> but you know looking uh, looking for answers uh, is kind of fun yeah <laughs> and um, you know we'll have to continue doing that now um i'll have to leave in five minutes and also i don't want to take uh, too much of the time of you guys but i think this has been a fascinating conversation and i look forward to continuing this uh, conversation anytime as a matter of fact uh, mm, you know, so far I have been doing uh, this podcast every, you know, uh, not on a regular basis. Sometimes uh, once a month, sometimes many times per month. With uh, sometimes with one guest, sometimes with two. Um, now I'm thinking to have it on a more regular basis. I am uh, very happy that uh, Stellar will join me. We have a lot of interesting people to chat with. And uh, Gabriel, I hope uh, you will uh, participate uh, whenever you can. Absolutely. Uh, it was, you know, great to kind of get to know Stellar uh, a little bit more here. I would love to, I'll, um, you know, invite you to some other Terrasome events. I'll, you know, email through Julio or something uh, later. But uh, yeah, you know, wonderful conversation, Julio. Um, it's, you know, um, just an endless uh, stream of, of fascination um, and just the deep dives into, you know, the most interesting questions, uh, you know, there are to, to ask and, um, you know, having you, you know, as a friend and, and as a, as a mentor and, and just, uh, you know, someone to, to, you know, having your presence to help you process all this out um, is extraordinary. And, um, yeah, looking forward to more of these conversations. Um, I, I think that, uh, Stellar, you know, Terrasum really tries to, to meet this, you know, intersection of bringing more, you know, uh, kind of a Buddhist philosophy, um, mixing with the, you know, kind of the naturalism, um, of indigenous ideas, uh, as well as, um, you know, the reality of, the technological world that we're living in um, and, and just, you know, kind of, where is this, what does this common sensely go, you know? Um, and casting aside, you know, some of these things that, uh, that have um, created these horrible hallucinations of reality um, and seeing, you know, what is the way that we can kind of craft this together forward. 
Um, and so it's a, it's a beautiful, you know, space to be in and, and to have these conversations, um, you know, as well. So looking forward to a lot more of that. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And like I said, it's what I'm going through right now is new. So I'm also just connecting the dots again. And yeah, I would love to learn and go deeper into a like a terrorism rabbit hole as well. So. <laughs> Maybe yeah. uh, Gabriel, you also invite her to join the terrorism Discord. Yes. And, yes. Um, yeah, that would be amazing. Hope uh, the half of everyone in Terrasem uh, say that you are all welcome to attend our monthly meeting on uh, the tenth uh, of each month. And now I don't want to make the confusion with European time. I attended a very comfortable <laughs> 4 p.m. for me. So I believe it's 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern time, which would be oh, 7 a.m. California time. But if you can... Uh, early. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'd love to have a calendar invite for that. And yeah, Julia, I'm very excited to continue to do these uh, Turing Church podcasts uh, together whenever you want me as a uh, co-host and yeah i'm very excited okay it was uh, good uh, to see you guys i'm going to cut the recording now okay only i can find where it is all right here it is. So let's stop this one first. And then we stop this one. We have been recording with two bots called Chayark and Craig. I'm going to stop Craig now. Goodbye, Craig. Okay.